0: remember that with unresolved trauma, that's really uh, something that changes the lens through which we see the world, right? So it makes us less open and available for intimacy. Instead of that cutie who's sitting across from you that you're having a hard time flirting with, instead of recognizing they're actually still real interested in you, that cold parent in your unconscious mind might be getting projected onto them and you just keep seeing all their signals as they don't like me. From the Relationship Center, I'm psychotherapist, couples counselor, and dating coach Jessica Engel, and this is I Love You Too, a show about how to create and sustain meaningful relationships.
1: I'm dating and relationship coach Josh Van Vliet. On today's episode, we're going to talk about dating while healing from trauma. We're so happy you're here, and please remember that this show is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're joining us here today and this episode we're going to be talking all about dating while healing from trauma. I'm so excited to be doing this episode with you Jessica in particular because you are such an expert in this area. You've thought so deeply about how to find love and build healthy relationships after having experienced trauma. Mm. So this is I think this is going to be a real a real contribution to folks
0: Mm.
1: who have gone
0: through that. Thank you. Thank you. That's very sweet. Before we get started, if you love our show, well, we love you too. And we want to be in touch between episodes. To get more free dating, relationship, and social anxiety advice, please go to relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter. Okay, on with the show.
1: Perfect. As we are headed into this episode, dear listener, we do want to let you know we will be naming a number of different kinds of trauma during this episode. So please take good care while listening and we won't be going into in-depth descriptions of any kinds of trauma, but if that brings up anything for you, please take good care while listening and we aim for this episode to be uh, hopefully helpful and even maybe a little bit uplifting, giving you some possible path forward for the kind of love and connection that you're looking for in your life because that's what this is really all about. And if you're listening to this right now and thinking about wanting to connect, wanting to build relationships. That's incredible. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think we should just start with that. Like it speaks to what a courageous human you are, that you have gone through something painful in your life and you still want to connect with other humans Mm -hmm. and build deep, meaningful, satisfying relationships. That is courageous. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It points to your huge heart. So just know that we... We honor you and we're glad that you're with us today.
0: Yes, welcome, welcome. Why don't we just start with why are we talking about this? Yeah. So we are very passionate about this. This is something that we work on a lot with our clients. And, you know, studies show that more than 70% of adults have experienced at least one major trauma in their lifetime. I would argue since 2020, that's 100% of us, right? And in, in our experience, unresolved trauma is one of the most common and least recognized reasons dating is so difficult. As I'm also a trauma survivor, you know, over the 12 years I've been working with clients, like I know both personally and professionally, the what can feel like a Herculean effort it takes to find healthy love after experiencing really difficult things. And I've also seen that it is entirely possible. So that's the the hopeful message of this is if you're really struggling and trauma may be at play, there is a way through. Mm. And I really have seen that when when you take the time and put in the the hard work to heal uh, from past difficult experiences in dating, it has an effect that goes throughout your life, beyond your love life. So, you know, healing from trauma is really healing the heart and that is going to have a positive I- impact really everywhere.
1: Yeah. That's such a great reminder. And and even when it, I think it can seem like sometimes we're making very slow or small progress in an area and to hold that picture, both that the progress is real and important and that it's rippling out into our lives in ways that we may not even see or recognize yet is, is really important.
0: Yes. So I was thinking, let's maybe define trauma a little bit more right. um, because I think that trauma can actually be a uh, misleading word for some people just because of the sort of stereotypes we have about what that word means. Yep. And so for most people, the word trauma, like when you think, Josh, about trauma and think particularly about popular media, what comes to mind?
1: Yeah, what I sometimes talk about is like the big T trauma, right? Yes. The, the intimate partner violence, the, you know, natural disasters, you know, crime in the streets, like things that are, are, are violent, are discrete moments in time, easy to kind of see in a certain sense. Um, yes. Though, not, though sometimes very under-recognized right. in terms of the, how, how much it impacts people or how many people are inf- affected by it.
0: Yes. Yeah, the other big one that I think of that I think has been shown the most in popular media is just war. Right. right, So that's right. sort of a, sure. the original, PTSD used to be called shell shock, which was the term they used to describe soldiers coming back from war who were changed forever. Mm-hmm. So that was the original form of trauma that our culture really recognized. So yes, I think you're right on. There are these big T traumas that our society typically does acknowledge our damaging and there are a lot of other traumas that get missed, Mm -hmm. less obvious forms. So one example is a relational trauma, like growing up with a parent who's emotionally unavailable or the trauma of oppression. So growing up in a racist society as a person of color, for example. And many people don't realize they are survivors of of trauma due to that narrow conception of trauma that our, our culture has. The other piece to remember about trauma is that it is subjective, right? So it is inherently an experience that is overwhelming to one's nervous system. It doesn't have to be inherently life-threatening or objectively life-threatening, it just has to be perceived on some level by the body, by the nervous system as being too overwhelming to process. So that could even be if you're a very highly sensitive kiddo, say you're walking down the street and there's a big scary dog barking at you from behind a fence and your nervous system is just attuned to you know, safety, to sound, you may experience that as a trauma, uh, even though another child who's less sensitive wouldn't. And so the, the key here is that it is subjective. I think this is important too when we think about dating because I know there are experiences people have in dating that some people experience as traumatic, mm-hmm. right? And that may be because it's touching on previous experiences that were traumatic and it may also just be that it just was overwhelming to, for example, get close to someone and then they ghost, right? On a nervous system level, on an attachment system level, that can feel threatening. Yes. So all of this I hope is, is helping you, dear listener, really feel like if you're feeling really deeply impacted by something, there's there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably a really good reason for that and you deserve care and support if you're having a really difficult time, even with just what's happening in your dating life.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's so easy in our society to brush aside the forms of trauma that are a little bit less obvious. Mm-hmm. I know this is certainly true for folks who are, are you know, raised men. But I think it's also true for, for you know, folks of all genders that we are kind of taught to be tough, right? Yeah. To like brush it aside. It's not a big deal. It shouldn't bother you. Just keep going. If it's bothering you, there's something wrong with you, right? You're broken right. in some way. And it's like that is such a damaging message because it stops us from... A, actually getting the help and healing that we need that would allow us to have the kinds of connections or experiences in our lives that we'd love.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, and one of the things that we know about trauma is that some people who go through trauma don't develop something like PTSD, an anxiety disorder. And the difference between that person and somebody who does develop that disorder is they have community support before, during, and after. They feel seen, they feel safe, they feel witnessed and supported, right? And so just like what you're saying, there is an impulse with trauma to isolate and to tough it out. And that is actually the opposite of what is needed to heal. So ironic. Yeah, so just one more uh, interesting definition of trauma that you might hold on to. I've I've heard some trauma experts refer to trauma as any occurrence after which nothing will ever be the same again. Mm. So in that frame, you could actually even hold things like the birth of a child or a wedding as a trauma, which isn't to say that it was a bad thing, but that it probably shifted your sense of self forever.
1: Fascinating. I haven't heard that definition before. That's really mm-hmm.
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah. So shall we talk a little bit more about how trauma affects dating?
1: Yeah, yeah. So what are the signs that trauma might be at play?
0: Yeah, I want to jump into signs in a moment, but let's actually do a, a little more looking at trauma, what we think trauma is and how it can show up more generally. Okay. okay. So coming back to that example of war being the big T trauma that's kind of most seen in in popular media and accepted by our culture. So you've probably seen in a movie on TV somewhere like a veteran who maybe hears a car backfire or a firework and they go into a flashback. Perhaps they dive under a table or kind of get into a defensive mode, right? Right. So that's kind of what we've been taught a flashback looks like, okay? Okay. That happens some of the time for some people, but it's actually not the most common form of a flashback, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, So trauma expert Janina Fisher says, trauma survivors have symptoms, not memories, okay? So flashbacks aren't usually visual movies of the original trauma in our mind. They're often just sort of overwhelming, confusing feelings, thoughts and behaviors, Okay so put another way Bessel van der Kolk says the emotions and physical sensations that were imprinted during the trauma are experienced not as memories but as disruptive physical reactions in the present.
1: I think that's so helpful to know and be able to to recognize because if you're looking for oh I'm flashing back to a vid, like a you know movie in my mind of this moment mm-hmm. y- you might miss these others actual signals that something is going on here that's just confusing. It doesn't it doesn't clearly like link to that moment necessarily. Right. Right. It could just be this overwhelming urge to get away.
0: Yes. For yes.
1: instance. That may be very confusing and feel like I don't know why I'm feeling this in this moment. It doesn't feel like it makes sense. Right. Necessarily to what's happening but can be very, very painful and very real, very, very scary.
0: Yeah. And then that often will lead to lower Mm self-image. There's something wrong with me. Maybe I can't be in relationship. Right. And how painful is that? Right. right? So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about having a flashback in dating. That's not that kind of movie in the mind, but more of an overwhelming sense of fight, flight, freeze. Mm -hmm. So let's say you go on a date and you're feeling shut down. Mm -hmm. You're unable to flirt or really be yourself, okay? And maybe if we were to really look underneath that, what we would find is an old experience of being bullied as a teenager. Maybe there's the still-to-be-healed heartbreak from the end of your last relationship, right? That left you feeling terrified of getting close to someone else. Mm Maybe there's growing up with a a parent who's cold and critical, especially when you were playful or Mm. expressive. Yeah. Right? And you aren't remembering any of this in your explicit memory. You're just kind of a little shut down. Yeah. And so I hope you can already hear, dear listener, that one of the keys to healing that is just recognizing that it isn't that you're just a shut down non-flirtatious person who's just not capable of dating, it's that there's something underneath that that needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just remember that with unresolved trauma, that's really uh, something that changes the lens through which we see the world, right? So it makes us less open and available for intimacy. Without our conscious awareness, it stops us from trusting others or accurately assessing the health and long-term viability of our relationships. So our trauma-based projections stop us from really seeing things as they are. Mm -hmm. Instead of that cutie who's sitting across from you that you're having a hard time flirting with, instead of recognizing they're actually still real interested in you, that cold parent in your unconscious mind might be getting projected onto them and you just keep seeing all their signals as they don't like me, Mm. right?
1: Yeah, so painful.
0: Yeah. So the the point with all of this is if you've been struggling with dating and finding your person, you haven't been able to figure out why, really consider whether trauma is at play. I do have a quiz for you to assess that, to start to, you know, pull that thread. It's called, Is Unresolved Trauma Stopping You from Finding Love? We'll include a link in the show notes. And you'll go through some common signs that can come up for trauma survivors in dating, which we are actually going to go over some in a moment here. Perfect. Yeah. Any questions, thoughts about any of that before we look at those signs?
1: I just really appreciated your reminder that even even a past heartbreak yes. can make it hard to date if we haven't had the time to heal and resolve that so that we're available. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the advice is, oh, we'll just go, go out there. Get out there, you know, get over it. Uh, which again is some of that similar kind of dismissive messaging that it shouldn't be a big deal. The only way to move on is to just start dating again. And for some people that's okay, but for, for some people it really doesn't work. Right. It's very painful. It doesn't give them the space to really be present for the dating that they're doing and be able to enjoy it, be able to make the connections they're looking for. So again, I, I love that we're, we're pulling out these details of the different ways this can show up and the things that may, may contribute to it.
0: Yeah, I think it is really, really important to validate that dating can be be traumatic sometimes and I think one piece to name in there, it could be heartbreak, heartbreak is a trauma. Another piece that I I like to highlight is, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trauma survivors in the world. We established that right at the top of the episode. That means you're going to be meeting a lot of trauma survivors in the dating pool, right? right? And so some of them may be repeating things that they learned in their past relationships that were not healthy. Things like gaslighting or love bombing or, you know, any sort of form of Unhealthy relating can really have a very negative impact. And so, you know, I mentioned ghosting already. So if you are feeling uh, shook by your dating experiences, again... That makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And give yourself the time and space to really process that experience. And we'll talk a little bit later about, okay, so great. Everyone's a trauma survivor. I'm a trauma survivor.
1: (laughs) What what do we do? What do we do? Uh
0: I I got you. I've got a list of things that I want you to be looking at with that. Okay. But first and foremost, why don't we go ahead and look at the signs. The signs. Yeah. Yeah. So um, common struggles that trauma survivors experience in dating I'm gonna go over just a few clusters of things. There's a much longer list on our website. We will link you to that in the show notes. Um, But let's go ahead and look at what I refer to as behaviors that point to a fragmented sense of self, okay? So an example of this might be becoming a different person in romantic relationships, okay? So for example, you are powerful at work, you feel competent, you feel, uh, you know, secure and stable. And then when you get into romantic relationships, somehow all of that goes out the window, you feel lost, you feel like a, maybe a little kid um, and you're unable to really stand your ground. Mm-hmm. That's a really clear indicator to me of so there's something in there that that's getting activated. Okay, other examples of this might be feeling out of control when dating, like almost feeling like you're compelled to relate to certain people even though you know they're probably not good for you. Mm-hmm. So really looking for do I feel like a different person when I'm dating?
1: And not in a good way. Cause sometimes <laughs> we we sometimes I feel like get into a relationship with somebody and it's like, oh, I feel like they they get me and I feel so alive and like myself. And yes. but this is like, no, you're feeling small. You're feeling like oh
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, for some people it may be a swing between feeling really small and then feeling really powerful, mm, uh, yeah. maybe feeling almost going into a, a, the realm of grandiosity, yep. right? And and all of us when we are falling in love, we've got a rush of yummy chemicals that make us feel more powerful. It's kind of like being on drugs, right? But if, you, if that grandiosity kind of pushes you to do more extreme things, for example, get engaged within a month, right? That's you. You know, look at that. Look at what's underneath that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so another sort of kind of category of traits uh, or behaviors that can point to some trauma are boundary issues. So I just referred to one actually rushing into relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay, a pattern of ending relationships abruptly, often blindsiding your partners a tendency to date people who are not able to relate to you in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they struggle with mental illness that is not being treated, they're emotionally or logistically unavailable, or they're even subtly or overtly abusive. Okay, that's a boundary issue. An inability to protect ourselves is often an indicator that there's some trauma yeah. at play.
1: So we've got a kind of fragmented sense of self and boundary issues so far as two of the main signs.
0: Yes. Perfect. Yeah, another one I'll name is difficulties with vulnerability. Okay. Okay, so difficulties opening up, letting your walls come down, like we said earlier, maybe that difficulty like flirting, right, being yourself. Another form of a difficulty with vulnerability is feeling turned off or maybe mildly disgusted even by those who express interest and care openly. And then on the flip side of that, being turned on by those who are more dismissive or aloof, okay.
1: That's a sneaky one right there.
0: That's a real sneaky one. Yeah, yeah
1: you got to yeah. watch out for that. Like, am I being a little bit disgusted by people who are kind and interested in me?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one tell for me around that is I often want to look deeper when, so- when somebody comes to me and says, I am always attracted to people who aren't interested in me and the people who are interested in me are never people I want to date. So it's like a, it's a very black and white thing, mm-hmm. right? Because there's so- always, I think, going to be, some experience in dating where it's like, oh, there's some people who are interested in me that I'm not interested in and vice versa. But if it's an always, that's a red flag, I think. For sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Another example of difficulties with vulnerability would be something like feeling uncomfortable around partners who are emotionally expressive or ending relationships once they reach an intolerable level of closeness. Mm
1: -hmm. And why is that? Is that like the level of closeness is actually a signal of danger because of our past experiences?
0: Yes, Exactly. We are we are wired to seek out close relationships, right? You know, some of us are have an orientation that is aromantic or asexual, so it's not necessarily, we're not pulled towards a romantic relationship, but all human beings are wired to seek out intimacy. Mm-hmm. And so to seek out intimacy and then to all of a sudden have an overwhelming desire to get away, indicates that there's something in the nervous system that does associate closeness with danger. Okay, let's do maybe one more and then uh, we can shift. So another, another sign of trauma in dating is anxiety, okay? Now, not all anxiety, but when you, for example, go on a date and you blush and tremble and sweat and have difficulty speaking, uh, you mind blanks, you have racing thoughts... Uh, That can be a form of dating anxiety and dating anxiety can just be sort of genetic and hereditary. It can also be based in some traumatic experiences, okay? So really looking at your level of distress on dates. It's very normal to feel a little anxious on a first date. If it's an overwhelming amount, you're going to want to look deeper at that, okay? And then another form of anxiety I think a lot of uh, people are familiar with, with dating is hypervigilance. For example, monitoring how long a date takes to respond to a text. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So most people who have a little touch of anxious attachment will have some uh, like sort of tracking where their love interest is in terms of responsiveness. If it's to the point where you're sort of crawling out of your skin uncomfortable and you're having the impulse to text them over and over again... I would want you to look deeper at that too to see what's underneath that high level of anxiety.
1: Makes sense. I heard an example recently of a friend going on a date or I think he hadn't even gone on a date yet. I think he was just messaging with this person and she messaged him in the morning and he was working and I think it was maybe a a few hours later Mm -hmm. she sent him a a ghost emoji.
0: Right, yes.
1: And he was like, "Do, do you think I'm ghosting you? it yeah. respond? And she was like, yeah, haha," And it, it was, uh, I feel like one of those moments of like, there's not quite enough. I mean, we don't know what's happening really for that person, but it's a sign that there may be something that's happening that is not quite enough uh, spaciousness in her system to be able to tolerate going mm-hmm. more than a few hours without a love interest right. responding.
0: Right, absolutely. Yeah, well, and it can become this, Unfortunate self fulfilling prophecy, because as I recall, that story ends with them not going on another date, right? And he was interested in her, and yeah. So there's yeah, just that that piece of learning how to be with our nervous systems in a way that is trauma informed, Mm -hmm. uh, which we will get to in a little bit. Yeah.
1: Through hearing all of this, one might be thinking it sounds really hard to have a relationship. Yes. After having experienced trauma. Uh, So I feel like the natural next question would be, can someone who has survived trauma have a healthy relationship?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we named kind of up top that we've seen a lot of people who have survived some really difficult things find their person or persons and get married. And, you know, if they want to have kids, they they have kids and the whole shebang. So it's absolutely possible. I do think that... Knowing that trauma is a factor and having the right tools and support is key. Mm -hmm.
1: And I'll just put a plug in. If you're listening to this episode and you don't think you've experienced trauma in your life, you're probably going to date someone who has, (laughs) (laughs) given how many people have experienced trauma in the world. And so you may want to listen to this through that lens. Yes. Right. What can I learn about how to be a great partner for someone who has experienced trauma? Yes. And we'll touch on that maybe a little bit as we go here. Most of this will really be for the folks who have experienced trauma in their life, but uh, I invite you to listen through that lens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, great point.
1: So we, we we know some of the signs now that trauma may be at play. We know it's possible to have a healthy relationship if you've experienced trauma. The next natural question is, okay, how do I do it? How do I start dating after trauma? And even while healing from trauma, is it possible to start dating before I've kind of, quote unquote, fully healed.
0: Right, right. Whatever that means. Right. Well, I think your quotes are uh, kind of pointing to the answer to that, which is healing is an ongoing process. I think a lot of people do wonder, like, is it okay to date if I'm if I'm healing from something? Um, and I think that you do not need to heal all of your trauma before dating. In fact, I, I would argue that's probably not entirely possible. And we are wounded in relationship, we heal in relationship. So remember what I said earlier about the, the key to healing trauma or to a traumatic experience not turning into PTSD is support. And so the very thing that you're going to need is to build caring relationships with others, okay? Now, is there a... a point in someone's recovery where it doesn't make sense for them to date. Absolutely, okay. Some signs I would look out for for that is if you're struggling to take care of the basics of self-care or to relate to others in a loving, consistent or self-honoring manner, focus on recovery first. If dating causes overwhelming reactions that keep you in a state of stress most of the time, focus on stabilizing and establishing a foundation of safety within yourself first. Okay, Um, and that said, I think that it's totally a beautiful thing to allow yourself to date while healing trauma and to actually embrace the process as a way to heal trauma. You know, doing it, of course, in a way that respects and honors those around you, but it is actually one of the paths through trauma is to allow yourself to open up to others and then to process what comes up for you within
1: that it strikes me as you're saying that that it's a little bit similar to exposure therapy for social anxiety that we, we talk about sometimes in that when you're in this this middle zone where you you kind of as you're saying you've established some amount of sa- sense of safety within yourself you're taking care of your basic needs and uh, some of these other factors that you pointed to that it's almost like it's good to get into dating a little bit perhaps and see what comes up and have support to process that, whether that's with friends, family, community, therapists, coaches, whoever, and then do more and see, but you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to modulate how much you're engaging with it. Yes. That it's not just, okay, I'm dating, it's on or off, right? That it's either I'm just going on dates all the time and, you know, whatever, or I'm not dating at all but that there's an opportunity to step into it in a gradual way that allows you to process what comes up for you as you go as part of the healing.
0: Yes, such an important point. And let's just zoom back a little bit because exposure therapy, we might want to remind the listener about that. The principle behind that is that when we have an anxiety disorder, when we have a high level of anxiety about something, oftentimes the number one symptom of anxiety, including and especially PTSD, is avoidance. Mm -hmm. And this is also on my list of common signs of trauma being at play. When we see someone avoiding dating, including with the excuse of, well, I just need to do a little more Mm self-work, right? Sometimes that's true, and sometimes there's kind of a, a covert avoidance underneath that. Okay, so to your point, it's really important to start to slowly but surely expose ourselves to the thing that is scary and with support, start to allow our nervous system to associate that more and more with safety.
1: There's this great video that I think just went out in our newsletter of this baby eating a piece of kiwi. (laughs) cracks me up every time. The baby like puts the kiwi in its mouth. It's like, Ugh, it makes it like really like, oh that was awful faced. And then it does it again.
0: Like,
1: takes it out. Does it again.
0: Ugh. And in between he's like looking at the Kiwi, kinda like Huh <laughs> oh. kind of like processing it like, oh, it wasn't all bad. Like there oh, was a sweetness there. Something
1: that's nice. Okay, let's try it again. oh no, still weird. Oh, let's try it again. I feel like that's such a beautiful example of Exposure therapy, illustration of it.
0: Yeah, well, and just I love how it normalizes. Stepping outside your comfort zone, especially when you've had a a trauma, gone through a trauma, it's going to feel weird, it's going to feel a little threatening and that is normal, Yeah. right? The key with exposure therapy, which you have named a, a bit here, is it has to be a tolerable amount of challenge. Uh, And so that's one of the keys here in how to date in a healthy way after trauma is you're going to want to challenge yourself some but not too much, okay? You're going to want to say you have a a scale of zero to 100 of anxiety. We want you between a 30 and a 50 when you're challenging yourself, okay? Above that, you're going to keep teaching your nervous system that dating is overwhelming and threatening, and below that, you you may not grow as fast as you want, okay? So keep that one in mind and listen to our first episode for a little more about the process of balancing challenge with soothing in dating. Mm-hmm. Perfect. The other thing I really recommend is keep in mind as you're going towards starting dating while healing trauma or reinitiating, it's okay to take breaks. Mm-hmm. I want you to plan on it, in fact, because of this process of needing to balance, challenge with soothing. There's going to be something that happens in dating that brings up more trauma material than you can process while still being able to focus on dating. So there will be moments where you need to step back and give yourself some time and space to really process through all the things that get kicked up. So shall we actually talk a little bit more about how to process things how to do this in a healthy way
1: yes let's do it
0: okay so as you're starting to date or resuming dating I want you to really make sure you have support in place okay so that's for example working with a trauma-oriented therapist ideally one who specializes in dating or uh, any other support figure that you really trust to hold space for you while you're going through this process that can be friends loved ones coaches You, Josh, mentioned exposure therapy and one beautiful tool for re-engaging with dating in this way that kind of targets that sweet spot of 30 to 50 in terms of that challenge zone is an exposure hierarchy. I'm going to link you to my in-depth article about how to create an exposure hierarchy. It's basically really listing out what are all the baby steps that I could take towards my ultimate goal of, say, going on a date and feeling really confident, right? Right. Um, And so you'll identify, you'll break things down into baby steps. Things like, I'm going to imagine I'm on a date, okay? I'm going to role play being on a date with my therapist. So very slowly but surely working your way through. That exposure hierarchy for you can be a beautiful roadmap for where you're going to go in this process and give you a sense of clarity. I know each step I'm going to take to slowly bring my nervous system to a place of more confidence,
1: one of the things I love about that also is that it it helps reassure you that you do have a plan. Mm-hmm. That even as you're taking what may seem like very small steps at times and your brain may at times be like, I need to go faster. I, I, I want to find my partner. This isn't going quickly enough. And you might have the thought that you need to rush beyond where you're really at. But having a plan, knowing this is part of, a step-by-step process that I'm going through that's getting me where I want to go, mm-hmm. even if it maybe isn't as instantaneous as I might prefer it to be, can help reassure your system be like, okay, we're taking the steps we need to take right now and we're doing what we need to do to have the relationship we really want.
0: Yes, yeah. Beautiful point. And I, I really encourage you to affirm each step forward. Pat yourself on the back take yourself out for ice cream, whatever it is for you, every step is meaningful. Um, The other thing I want you to remember is that this kind of exposure work I find has a snowball effect. So it can feel very kind of slow going at the beginning, but it's going to pick up speed. Your system's going to over time become more and more flexible. So just expect that.
1: That's a great reminder. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. One place I want to go before we go into a few more tools is to name a couple of common mistakes that survivors make when dating after trauma. Okay. Okay. So one is called trauma dumping. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this one? I have. Yes. What What's your understanding of it?
1: When someone who has experienced trauma early on in a new relationship with somebody, they share all about their trauma and everything they've been through out of a, uh, I think sometimes it's out of a, either a worry of keeping it back is somehow misleading the person or not being open and vulnerable, or just thinking like being vulnerable means sharing all of this immediately. So it's like first date, here's everything that happened to me in the past. Yep.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So sharing traumatic experiences with others without their invitation or consent. So example, this might be you go on a first date, and your date asks you, you know about your family and you share in detail about your father's untimely death and the devastating unwinding of your family system as a result and it's way too much, way too fast, okay? And this is very common also for trauma survivors because a lot of traumas are about boundary crossings or boundary violations, right? And so there is a difficulty being able to monitor and assess appropriate pace or appropriate boundaries, okay? Now, of course, this has some negative effects. One is it may discourage people from going on another date, right, if it feels like too much for them. The other thing that can happen is that um, two trauma survivors can bond over a shared trauma and they can confuse that bonding for compatibility. Okay. Yeah, questions, thoughts about that? Don't do that. (laughs) 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 No, no, no. No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. No, you you want a relationship <laughs> that is based on love and care and shared values and shared vision for your lives, not about a shared past experience.
0: Right, right. Now, is there a place to share traumas with somebody that you're building a relationship with? Absolutely. In fact, that can be an important part of really getting to know one another. I think the key here is really noticing. Have you really ask for consent. Is it appropriate to the level of relationship that you're at? And I encourage you to use the share check method, which we've talked about previously, you know, share a little bit and check to see what their response is. Okay. Do they seem comfortable with even learning about that? And also, are they compassionate and kind in response? Mm -hmm. Um, So remember, if you are a trauma survivor, who's, past traumas include boundary violations it may be hard for you to slow down enough to assess whether the other person is really i to say worthy of you sharing and i think that's a little bit of a complicated word worthy but that they have shown enough they've built up enough trust with you to earn your confidence mm-hmm. okay
1: yeah they've demonstrated they're going to take good care of you yes uh, or that you have a reasonable expectation that they will Because sadly, the truth is not everyone will be able to in that moment for all kinds of reasons that we don't need to get into. But the bottom line is you want to be sharing with people that are very likely to respond kindly, compassionately, and will give you an experience of safety and and trust and true vulnerability.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So in my mind, the opposite of trauma dumping and the kind of mistaking common trauma for compatibility is pacing. We have an episode about this. Pacing your relationships very mindfully, that's going to include a number of different trauma healing skills, okay? So it's going to include repairing your relationship with your body and intuition, which really gets impacted in trauma. It includes exposure therapy. It includes uh, utilizing assertive communication setting boundaries, and it also includes mindful self-inquiry, okay? So um, check out that episode. That is definitely one of the number one tools I would recommend as you're dating while healing trauma. Another one that we've already touched on is really embracing dating as your hero's journey, your heroine's journey, right? See it really as one of the fastest ways to heal from trauma and become an even stronger version of yourself. And in that frame, what I love about that is that it's not that you're going to love the sort of sudden uh, reactions that you get in dating, right? The getting flooded, you're not going to enjoy those more with that frame, but you're going to see that as useful, okay? Because that's giving you very important information about what is left to be healed. okay? Related to pacing, going back a little bit, I also recommend really getting hip to your trauma symptoms and how they produce repeating patterns that no longer serve you, okay? So let me give you an example. Let's say that you grew up with that distant cold parent that we were talking about previously and you do a little bit of work with your trauma-oriented dating therapist and you realize, oh yeah, I'm 100% repeating that by going towards choosing to spend my time with people who tend to be emotionally unavailable, okay? And so with that information, you can now make new choices, right? You can start to go on dates more with the people who do seem a little bit more emotionally available, right? Or perhaps you realize, wow, I am just 100% avoiding dating entirely because of a past trauma, right? Right? Well, that's going to tell you, okay, well, it's time to very slowly but surely get back in, in into the dating pool.
1: Mm, good. Is there anything else that is important to share about how do I start dating after trauma?
0: Yes. I want to offer some of those tips and tools around processing trauma material that comes up. So, When you have a strong response to your dating experience, one that feels perhaps out of proportion to what's actually happening, that's often an indicator that there is something else that's getting activated, something from the past, okay? What I recommend is use that moment to process whatever is getting kicked up by that experience, ideally before you take any action, yeah? So for example, this story you told earlier, where they sent the ghost emoji, right? My guess is that came from that action came from an overactivated nervous system that, you know, she was worried she was being abandoned. Okay. And so, had she had the support needed to process what was coming up for her, she may have been able to respond in a way that actually drew him closer, right? So, Another example might be you feel panicked when the person you've been dating for a few months starts to talk to you about wanting to move in together. Mm. Your impulse is to run.
1: No, thank you. No.
0: And so really allowing yourself, you know, let them know, hey, I need a moment to be with myself to really process my thoughts and feelings about this instead of disappearing for a day or shutting the conversation down. Okay. Okay. So how do you process trauma material? Number one, as we mentioned already, therapy. Therapy is really helpful for this, especially working with a trauma-informed therapist. Another piece to know about working with trauma, trauma really lodges in the body, okay, in the nervous system. As we've mentioned, it's not often or not as frequently in kind of that memory where you have a movie about what happened, right? And so what you're going to need to do is really incorporate your body. When we go into a stress st- state, fight, flight or freeze, which is what happens when we go through a trauma, essentially the body doesn't get to complete the sh- what's called the stress cycle, okay? So when we are processing trauma, when it's gotten activated by our current experiences, it, you're, there's going to be something happening in the body that is wanting to move through and one way to do that is through movement, okay? There's also dance, there's somatic experiencing, there's qigong, really anything where you can involve the body and allow it to kind of do the running that it had the impulse to do in that trauma originally that it wasn't able to do, right? Maybe even do the punching, right? Some some of my clients do really well with things like boxing or drama therapy boxing where you're <laughs> boxing the air, you know, it doesn't have to be anything too fancy. I do. I have had clients who actually have gone out into the woods and like chopped wood mm, mm-hmm. and that has been really, really helpful. Bet, yeah. Yelling into a pillow, right? So any of these practices that really allow you to express some of the things you weren't able to express in the original trauma, that's going to be really, really important. Another piece that's helpful in processing trauma material is connecting the dots. So when I say connect the dots, what I mean is okay, I'm having this experience where I'm feeling the urge to run because my partner wants to move in with me. I need to take a moment to really feel into, to think about what could that be connected to? Could that possibly be connected to? And then floating back in my memory. Again, trauma doesn't necessarily show up as memories. So some of the time you're going to need to be guessing. Okay, You're going to need to be putting together the pieces based on what you know about your life. One of the tools I like to use for this is when we're in that triggered moment to ask, how old do you feel? Mm. Right. And so sometimes my clients will say, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm like four years old. Mm -hmm. Right. And we, we explore, okay, what was happening in your life when you were four? Oh, my stepfather moved in when I was four Mm. and he was abusive. Right. And so, You know, obviously, again, you don't have the memory, but the key there is to really notice how the nervous system responds when you put certain things together. When you say to yourself, oh, my current impulse to run, perhaps that's connected to that experience of my stepfather moving in and just notice if the nervous system has a kind of uh, resonance with that, if it relaxes, if it just sends you a signal that says, like, there's something about that that feels true, okay? Okay. So really connecting the dots and what that's going to do, it's actually moving it from one part of the system to another. So it's moving it from the implicit memory where it can kind of take over, right, suddenly into the prefrontal cortex where we have, we have more power over it. We get choice over how that experience impacts us. Brilliant. Connected to that, tell your story. Okay, so as you're processing these traumatic uh, experiences, as you're connecting the dots, it's very important to tell the story of what happened in the past and how that impacted who you are today. And you can tell your story to your therapist, you can write it in your journal, you can dance it out, you can make art about it, uh, you can share it with loved ones, you can share it more than once, okay? But the more you're able to share that in a way that balances thinking and feeling, the more, again, you're going to have control over it rather than it taking over your dating life. Good stuff. Good stuff.
1: Mm. I know we gave you a lot, dear listener, today. And just take what is useful and leave the rest for now. This is part of the uh, gradual integration process that you can take a piece of this and that may be enough for right now. And you come back when you're ready and take the next piece. So just be gentle with yourself as you're listening to this. If you're feeling overwhelmed, just find one little place where you can apply something that we've shared today and go from there. That's all you need to start. All right, folks, that's all for today. You can find the show notes with links to all the resources we mentioned in this episode at relationshipcenter.com slash podcast.
0: Yes, and if you love today's show, go to relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter. We'll send you a short, helpful email once a month with informative articles, silly videos, behind the scenes glimpses, book recommendations, and more. Again, that's relationshipcenter.com slash newsletter.
1: Until next time.
0: We love, we love you, you too. too. Bye. Oh, that's so
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, I Love You, where we talk about how to get closer to cows. Uh, Would you like to say a few words?
0: A few words. (laughs) (laughs) Say a few more words. I'm helping, I'm (laughs) helping.